0: stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Lord, I just pray that um, all those under under my voice, the word would sit deep within them, Lord, this morning. I pray that they would learn the ways of God this morning, and that the Spirit would do this miraculous work of imprinting um, your ways on our heart. And that we would come away um, with this greater understanding of maybe what's going on um, in in the world around us, and what you're doing, and um, where you see us going. And so, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what happened to these Israelites? That they ended up not entering into the rest of God. That they they, they they did not enter this rest. So they were in this place called the wilderness, right? They had been taken out of Egypt and they were going through the wilderness and they were walking with the Lord. They were walking with the Lord for about a period of few years. And they get to a place called Kadesh Barnea, um, and at Kadesh Barnea, they, they end up um, turning in unbelief and suddenly, where they're walking with the Lord, their are walking, turns to wander. Alright? And so <sighs> I truly believe that many believers have found themselves in that same place. That they've gone from a place of walking with the Lord, where the Lord is taking them through the habitat for a sea of wilderness and they've gone from walking to wandering in the in the wilderness and some people have even set up shop and made their homes in the wilderness some people are camping out in the wilderness some people are just like laying out I don't know what to do out this year let me die you know but some people are in that place and so but what you've got to understand and and some people being lost in that, that place of wilderness is that the wilderness was completely used by God that was His intention for them He led them into the wilderness He wanted them in the wilderness but only for a period of time He did. His intentions were not that they would stay there God's intentions was that this would be a habitat for them for a period of time and that they would enter out of that wilderness and we're going to look at part of their journey and just what what, um, what all the Lord was teaching them. So you've got to understand, what is a wilderness for us? What is a wilderness for you and being a new covenant Christian? So we've got to understand, Strong's definition of, of wilderness is, is something different than what you might think. So you might think of a wilderness, and you might think like lions, tigers, bears, there's different things like big trees, uh, crazy rivers, all of There's none of that really, all right? So a wilderness was something completely When it's spoken of in the Bible Uh, The word actually means And this is interesting It's it's the word midbar Which is used about uh, 44 times For when the Israelites Were going throughout the wilderness And it's the most prominent word for wilderness And it means something different altogether So the wilderness The original Hebrew word Means uh, God As if God is driving A flock of, of Animals somewhere now, I'm not calling you guys animals. Some of you are animals, but uh, most of you are not. Some of you are, uh, you know, well crazy animals. But they, you know, the, the, the actual Hebrew word that is that, the implication is that God is driving a pasture. Uh, this is pasture land, and the, the Lord is driving a flock somewhere, okay? So you get it right off the bat that the wilderness is being used by God to drive you somewhere, to, to push you towards something, to move you um, s- someplace, most specifically to the promised land. And, and then if you were to go on, it means a, something more like a desert rather than rather than um, something that is flowing with water and is kind of a wild place, or even more so like a place of nothingness. All right? So the, you've got to understand this. Okay? The wilderness... That's ordained by God. The habitat of God is not so much this—this—you um, oh, got all this crazy stuff going on at one time, and there's a lot of struggle in the midst of it. It's actually more so defined by periods of nothingness, that there's nothing there, and that God is trying to singularly teach you what it is to be sustained by Himself and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so the, the wilderness ends up being this dry, arid place this place where even if you think of David David was in this period of wilderness for 20 years before he entered into being a king now David had an anointing on his life, correct? he was already king but he wasn't there yet, he was in this period of wilderness for 20 years, and so he was actually sent out into this period of wilderness so that the Lord might prepare and drive him to a singular place so the wilderness in our lives is going to look like a dry place, a place where the Lord is already birthing something in your heart. You know, your your, um, your boyfriend or your girlfriend might say, hey, you're going to be a good preacher one day. You're going to be a good, uh, you know, the Lord is beginning to show that anointing on your life. Your wife, your husband may say, hey, you're a good worship pastor or you're going to be a missionary one day or you just love teaching kids or these different things. But you're not there yet. You're not in that place yet. And so you're probably in a place of wilderness to where there's, there's this, this period of just nothingness. There's this period of where it seems like um, um, oh, dryness and hungry and thirsty. And so, so that is the wilderness for the believer in which the Lord leads us into those places. Now, what is the purpose of the wilderness? Deuteronomy 8 speaks specifically to the purpose of um, and if you will turn um, in your Bible, and, and we're going to begin to take some notes here, Deuteronomy 8, um, 1 through 7 speaks explicitly to what the purpose, and the New Testament would back this up in several different uh, uh, passages that we don't have time to read this morning. But Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 7 talks about the explicit purpose of the desert. So Israel had just come out of, of Egypt, not at this point in the Bible, but he's recounting Deuteronomy 8, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply, and go possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you that detesting you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not, and He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys of the the hills. And then I'll just read verse 8: a land of wheat and barley and pines and trees and pomegranates in the land of olive trees and honey. That sounds like a great place. Um, but we explicitly get the purpose in, of the season of the wilderness. And that is specifically that you may humble you. And that sounds harsh, but it's actually really merciful. And we'll see you later. But also to test the motives of your heart. To test the motives of your heart. Um, Like what's really in your uh, uh, self in essence, like what's what's going on, why are you doing these things that you're doing, and so the confusion with the wilderness is this, okay, you may think that the wilderness is because of personal sin in my life, personal sin uh, I'm being driven into this wilderness alright, but that's not necessarily the case, okay that's not necessarily the case you're being driven into the wilderness because of personal sin in your life. The Lord is actually trying to humble you, which pride is obviously a sin, and test the motives of your heart, but he's, He must do that in all believers' lives. He must humble them. So He's taking you into this habitat. Now what can happen in the wilderness is your life become sinful in the midst of the wilderness, and you end up staying in that habitat that God did not intend for you, and that's the place where it becomes sin in your life, okay? That's the place where the sin is consuming you and leaving you in a place of death, and so the Lord is testing the motives of our heart, and, and that we would not trust himself, Now, this is the ultimate purpose. 8.17, Deuteronomy 8.17, okay? This is the point. This is the point that you've got to get to, okay? And and you've got to understand. 8.17 says this. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He gives you the power and to get well that he may confirm this covenant he swore with your fathers as it is this day. So he takes you through the wilderness so that you would never say I'm in this place of spiritual promise because I did it. Because I'm the one that got me there. It was through my, my work that I got myself there. It was because of who I am got me to this place. I am a person who loves people well because I am disciplined. And and a person who reads their Bible every day and goes to church all the time. And because of my commitment to the Lord, I am this person. The Lord never wants you in that place. You've got to know that all those things come from the Lord and it's only the Lord that sustains you. And in fact, if He took you into the promised land immediately, after your initial salvation, you would turn around to God and say, look what I did, now reward me. You would go into the promised land, and you would be immediately defeated by the bigger enemies that are waiting in the promised land. And that's what it says about the Israelites. He said, The Lord says, if I were to take you into the promised land immediately, you would be defeated and driven back to Egypt. You wouldn't be able to handle what's there yet. And so the Lord has got to use this period, this habitat of the wilderness to develop you and to sift you in such a way that you're trusting in you. Put your confidence in the Lord and you rest in who in what Christ has done. So if you'll bring up the map, Randy, of the, the wilderness, um, if we can look at that real quick. So, so um, you can see this map really quick. So the journey... From the land of Egypt to the, uh, the to the basically the, the promised land, the edge of the promised land, it says according to Deuteronomy, I think six, I can't remember. You have to look it up. It sh- it, it could take just eleven days to get there. Eleven days, all right. And this is scripture saying that it take eleven days. Now, I just did like seventy miles in a week. Um, 71 miles a week and I thought I was going to die I couldn't imagine doing 200 miles is what that is in a period of 11 days and uh, with a whole group of whiny people I was just with 3 whiny guys and uh, no, I'm just kidding and they, uh, it was hard enough so and so doing 200 miles but that's what the scripture says that they could have gone so you geometry people right the geometry people in the room what's the quickest way to any any destination from point A to point B a straight line, right? Well, obviously, God does not know geometry. It would be geometry, right? Is that right? Yeah. So anyway, y'all are going to look like what? So obviously, you see this path of the Lord. Now, remember, the Lord was leading them the whole way. They were following the cloud of the Lord. Now, does this look like any of y'all's lives to some degree? Does any of y'all's life's roadmap of your life kind of look like these little dips and different things uh, going on? Um, Yeah, it ended up, and they ended up, the Lord's intention for them was to take this route. In fact, if you see this um, number 12, Kadesh Barnea, right up there, that's where they were supposed to end up. And that took them about two years to get to Kadesh Kadesh Barnea, um, right at 12. And uh, that took them about two years. It should have really only taken them a little over a year. God's intention was that they would spend about a year to two years in the wilderness. And to get the world out of them, to sift them, to teach them reliance on God. But it ended up taking 40. And why did it take that long? So, there's a couple things. But why did the Lord choose to take this route? I like what Miles J. Stanford says. If you can bring up this quote, Randy, um, the first one. It seems that most believers have difficulty realizing in facing up to the inexorable fact that God does not hurry in His development of our Christian life. Mm. He's working, catch us. He's working from and for our eternity. See, the possession <laughs> that you are at has already been worked out. You are already, in essence, there with God now. And so He is currently working with you for all of you for heaven one day. He's beginning the process of preparing you for that. So it it takes time. You have time, in essence, is what he's saying. Then then John Darby, this next quote, by John Darby. And this is kind of old English a little bit, so I apologize. It is God's way to set people aside after their first start that self-confidence may die down. Thus Moses was 40 years On his first start, he had run away. Paul was three years also after his first testimony. Not that God did not approve of his first and earnest testimony. Not that they weren't saved, is what John Darby said. Not that they weren't saved. But we must get to know ourselves and that we have no strength. Thus we must learn and then leaning on the Lord, we can with more maturity and an ex- experiential um, de- deal with souls. So what he's saying is, the Lord is preparing you, preparing you in such a way that you can actually deal with people. You can pastor people well. You can, you're going to be prepared to lead as the Lord would lead. Um, if, if you look at, at almost every person within the scripture the Lord uses, he takes them through a period of wilderness. If you look at Moses, if you look at Elijah, uh, if you look at the disciples even, the disciples were, uh, not many people realize this, but who were the disciples with before they came with Jesus? They were with John the Baptist. And where was John the Baptist? He was out in the wilderness eating locusts and uh, and acting like a man, And so we see them in the wilderness before. You see Paul in a period of three years of preparation. You see all these different people in a period of of wilderness. The Lord brought them out into their purpose and place. Um, This is another quote by Miles J. Stanford. Catch this one. A a meteor is on the shortcut as it proceeds to burn out, but not a star with its steady light so often depended on by navigators. Unless the time factor is acknowledged from the heart, there is always danger of turning to false enticement of a shortcut via the means of experiences and blessings, where one becomes pathetically enmeshed in the vortex of ever-changing feelings, adrift from the moorings of scriptural facts. The Lord desires to produce in you something that is holding to the promise of God and is not flippantly all over the place based off of how you're feeling or how you're feeling blessed in that particular day. To where you don't end up coming to the service feeling like, i got to get it. I've got to get something out of it. Or God is not real to me. Or I've got to have these feelings about the music or the preaching or all these different things. That you can be okay with holding to what the promises of God says, and that's where you set your anger. That's why the Lord, if you go back to the map, this is why the Lord takes the long route to get to that place of promise. And that's why the Lord takes this versus going straight there. He knows that if you were to be like a meteor that were to... um, Uh, More like a meteor, you would burn out quickly, but a star, I like this, the star with its steady light, so often depended on by navigators. That the Lord wants to produce that in you. So, I'm briefly, I've not taken a lot of time already, but I'm briefly just going to look at some of the different stops that the the Israelites went on along the way and just show you some of the practical things that the Lord was teaching them. Um, Numbers 33 really outlines their journey and uh and talks about some of the different stops that they went through and throughout the wilderness and we're going to spend time mostly to in the first six of those stops um and just kind of look through practically what i believe the lord even wants to teach for uh, uh in you guys life as you walk through a wilderness maybe so uh numbers 33 is just it seems like a boring passage um and it, it but it's actually really interesting. Okay, so numbers 33 These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage And uh, I believe in the same way the Lord is taking you through seasons taking up myself through seasons taking us stage by stage to these different places um, by command of the Lord And these are their stages According to their starting places um, Then they set out Out from Ramses In the first month On the fifteenth day of the first month On the day of the Passover The people of Israel went out triumphantly In the sight of all the Egyptians While the Egyptians were burying All their firstborn Whom the Lord had struck down among them uh, on, their, on their gods And also the Lord executed judgments. Uh, so this Passover had just happened, right? Or the Passover where the death the angel had come through. All these people had been emblematically saved. These were a saved people coming out of the land. Alright? And so 5 says this. So the people of Israel set out from <laughs> Ramses encamped it, the sucker. Alright? So go back to the map, if we can. I'm sorry, Brandon. We can flip back and forth. So, so they started in the land of Ramses, which is just Egypt, and they go down to the land of Succoth. So <laughs> what is the Lord um, doing taking them down this place as opposed to straight line? And the you know, Lord is actually like leading them right into the Red Sea. If you can see that. So they come out and they, they establish this festival of booths. In fact, the word Succoth means uh, a tent city or, or place of booths. And the Lord was there reminding the Israelites as they're going on this camping trip that they're that they're, that they're gonna be in, in booths and tents and that they are only there for a period of time, that their home is not Egypt, and it is not and they're not in the promised land yet. They're not in the wilderness yet. So what is the Lord trying to teach um teach? Us in this, what is the Lord trying to teach them? And I think it's just that life really sucketh sometimes. Um, and so I was waiting all week to use that one, by the way. But <laughs> uh, life really sucketh. Um, and so, uh, it's actually, it's actually suka. I just wanted to use suck it the whole time. Uh, but. The Lord is teaching us in the same place at the beginning of the journey, in the beginning of where we're at. The Lord is teaching us that we are not made for this place temporary place that we're going to be uh, one day our true home is in heaven one day in which we'll receive a glorified body Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 1 for we know that in our earthly house this tent is destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands it's not a tent, eternal in the heavens for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed have been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, groan, being burned, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. The mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. See, so he's preparing you for something. He's saying that you are in this life now and it's going to really stink sometimes. But if you can set your mind on things above, if you can set your mind on Christ in heaven in the future place that you have with Him, it'll change a, a, so much for your, for your life. It, it'll help focus you in this world. Your, uh, your eyes won't be so focused on the circumstances that are around you or the places that you're in, but you'll have the realization that one day you will be with Him. And, and and it goes on in verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. Yes, well, please, rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. So, the Lord wants to start out with that lesson in your life. The Lord wants to teach you that, and He's going to allow you to go through places that remind you that this life is temporal. Mm-hmm. That this life is not what you're living for. It's for the next life. And so you're going to come to the realization as your body is breaking down, as the world is falling apart around you, as different things happen. You're going to come to the realization that life is hard and that you long for a completion, all right? So the second place they go to, and they actually go to, um, in Numbers, they go, they pass through the edge of the the desert, I mean the wilderness, they get ready to go into it, um, but we're not going to stop there. In um, verse 6, And they set out from uh, Sukkoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham and turned back to uh, Pi uh east of Beelzebun, and they camped before Migdal. So if you go down, back to the map, um, stop number two, we're looking at, is at number three. This is right at the Red Sea. And Piha'aroth means valley of Jordan, so eventually, uh, basically, they've walked down into this valley at this point, and they're camping at the edge of this valley. And Migdal means tower, so there's a strong there's a strong tower actually is, is the original translation at the edge of where they're at. So, so this is interesting because the Lord puts them in a place. Where they, if you were strategic about it, this was not the place you would go if you were uh, if you were nervous about all the people groups around the area. So you've got the sea on one side, you've got a valley on the other, and then you've got a tower on the other side. Basically, it's at this point that you find yourself pinned in, or the Israelites found themselves pinned in, with no hope of deliverance unless the Lord shows up and does something. And it's at this spot that... That Ramsay thinks in his mind, I still want these people for my servants, and he says, "I'm going to get them." And he goes and begins to chase after them. Well, the people begin to cry out, and they're like, "What do we do now?" Y'all know the story all, right, all, all too well. And they're pinned, and they got their back against the wall, against the Red Sea. And the Lord shows up and says, "Like I will defend you in this spot. I will be providing deliverance." There was nothing they could do. They had no weapons at this point. They had nothing to fight with. There was nothing that they had. They were pinned against the wall. Uh, they had a tower, a strong tower on one side. They had a valley on another. And then they're at the Red Sea. And they're saying, Lord, why did you lead us to this place? Couldn't we have just gone a different route to get to this place? And the Lord says, I want to show you something. I want to prepare you for something. And it's that that the, the Lord tells Moses to stick your staff. But even before that, as the army of Egypt has come up in the place, the angel of the Lord in fire gets on their rear guard and gets behind them and blocks the Egyptians from being able to pass through. And as the Red Sea opens, they walk on through in this miraculous event. And then you know that there's a whole story. The Lord at that point it goes up and he allows the Egyptians. Walk through and their enemy is defeated. But here's the thing: in the Lord in your, in the middle of your wilderness, He wants to take you to places where your back is pinned against the wall, where you've got no hope, you've got nothing to do, you've got nothing that you can that you have to hang on to, you have no weapon to fight with. He is going to pin you in places that require the deliverance in the hand of the Lord. And going to teach you this lesson over and over. He's going to teach me as as we walk through. Um, and he wants to, uh, to, to show his ability to defend us that we don't have to worry about being defensive. He wants to show his strength and deliverance to the, to the world through your struggle as well. This is the other big thing. He says over and over at this point that in, in their struggle, in their fight, in, in essence, in their fight, that the Lord... The midst of this struggle. So whatever it is where you, the place that you're pinned, the Lord wants to show his strength and his, um, his sovereignty in the midst of the situation to the rest of the world. You know, the easy example is like in the places where you're you're just you're, you, there's nothing you can do because your body is falling apart. and it, um, it's eaten up with some disease or cancer or whatever it may be, but then you're in a place that the Lord is showing up and delivering you in the midst of that and it becomes powerful to the world around you. So the Lord delivers them. takes them through that place. The next place we see, and y'all know that story well, the, the next place that we see the Lord taking them is a place called Mara. And they're walking along and they're like could have camped out at the beach. They could have just stayed and had a pool party all the time you know, and um and had a fish barbecue or whatever, and just stayed in that place. But the Lord decided to say, "Hey, it's time to pack up and leave this place. I've still got more to train you in. I still got more to teach you, to teach you." And 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 the Lord takes them to a place called Marah, which means bitter water. So remember, they're hot, and they're, and they're going through the middle of this desert, this dry place. The Lord is taking them along, and and they come to this place, and they're. And the water is just disgusting. It's bitter water. And they're like, they, they, in disbelief, they turn and they say, what do we do now, basically? We're going to die of thirst. Why would the Lord take, it? at every stop, it's like, why did the Lord take us out to this place? Why, why did the Lord take us to this place? Why would the Lord take us to a place where there's bitter waters? Well, then at that point, he takes, he takes, um, he takes Moses and he says, you see that tree over there? Take this tree and throw it in the waters. And he takes the tree and he, he throws it into the waters. And the, the water suddenly becomes sweet and refreshing. And it cools their tongue at that point and, they're, and they survive. I, what I find over and over is when I'm, I'm in this wilderness, this place of wilderness, you and I will begin to look for relationships, or jobs, or different things that will satisfy, that will quench, quench us uh, ultimately. And when we're looking in those things and we find some new relationship or job or or different things of that nature, you know, we 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 think that those things are going to quench. But when we ultimately like go and drink it in. It turns bitter on us. It becomes something that is not refreshing at all. It becomes something that is uh, that is um, not not good to taste anymore. And and you and you you all the time begin to ask like Lord, weren't you leading me to this place? Lord, weren't you doing this in my life? Weren't you bringing me? Why did you bring me to this place? And and as He so often and mercifully does, He He puts Christ into the situation, the tree being emblematic of the cross and what Christ has done for us. And, and, and it turns the situation into something that's refreshing. But it's only at that point, it's only at the at the point where we actually like look to the cross once again and realize that our insufficiency outside of Christ and our desire to look for something else that might be satisfying. And it's only at that point that the Lord takes that situation and our contentment turns to joy It's not because of the relationship, the job, whatever, the new job, the new place that we live, whatever it might be, but because of Him does that become sweet to us, and it becomes something that's useful to us and quenches that thirst. Alright, so then the next place. So the Lord's teaching us a lot in the midst of this wilderness. The next place they go to is Elam, or Elam, not that far away. but And it's immediately after this place of bitter waters. They come to a place, if, if you read about it in um, Numbers, it says, And they set out from Marah, and they came to Elam. In Elam, there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they camped there, uh, and so they came upon this, this oasis of sorts in the middle of the desert. This beautiful place of refreshment, this place that was satisfying, um, and and was just a place that was just uh, was good to their soul for a period of time. Now I don't know if twelve is emblematic of it. it might be it might be, uh, of the, the disciples and seventy the seventy disciples. I don't know if that's true, but I do, think, I do think this for us is a picture of entering into refreshing places for those who are in the wilderness to gravitate to those that are producing fruit, To gravitate towards those who are wells of water. Okay? And the people that the Lord has put in our lives to, to, to refresh us. There are people in my life, and this is important for you to know, with within. The, the context of being in a wilderness season, there are people that I turn to who who, who are wells to me, who, who speak life in me, who provide shade. And and there and what's interesting about the palm tree is the palm tree is this um, tree that produces fruit the older it gets. So it seems to be like this is like an older that now there's very there's very few older people in this church. You know maybe Kevin and. The Lonsberry's over here, you know, like we're a little bit older, they're a little bit older. Um, Captain, John wasn't here, so I had nobody older. Hang on, um, but and Miss Penny, Miss Penny is somebody who has always been somebody when I talk to. She just knows the Lord, you know. I think finding those people and I'm placing them around you, and, and is it can be a time of refreshing. The Lord will take you into those places. Where you're in the middle of this wilderness desert, and you find that the Lord wants to refresh you at times for seasons, so to help you, encourage you, and He's just so merciful in the midst of that. But you can't stay in that place all the time. You've got to go from that place. And where they go to is the wilderness of sin. It doesn't mean sinfulness. It just means, um, it just means like a, it's actually a reference to a moon god of sorts. But um, the wilderness of sin is where they're led to next, and in this wilderness, this is where they begin to complain and they begin to say. Even more so, they begin to say, "We're hungry, we're thirsty, we need food." And though this is the place that the Lord shows up and provides manna and manna, um, and then quail in the evening, and that and that was so neat to see because in the mornings, if you remember, the manna. Layer of protection from the ground by like this water barrier or something that I don't completely understand, but this manna was like manna bread from heaven. It would fall from heaven. This is what like the Psalms talk about. The angels were eating this stuff. It, 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 see, it would seem to be like this, this almost like this honey bread or something of that nature. It sounds uh, wonderful, you know. I don't know exactly what it was. But but they had to, they had to gather it up. Every day, each person had to gather enough for themselves and only themselves. And then by the end of the day, it was souring. They hadn't even left over. And then they would have to do it the next day. And on the Sabbath day, or the day before the Sabbath day, they'd have to pick up enough for about um, two to um, the sustain them for the next day. And then they would get quail in the evening. But this is what the Lord was trying to show in the midst of this place, the wilderness of sin. And I think it's very true. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, "Listen, I am the bread of life. I am the manna that was in the desert." And then he would go on further to say that he is the flesh made word, the 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 um, or the word made flesh. Excuse me. And and that that I believe what the Lord is teaching us in this in this. This uh, is emblematic of you learning in the wilderness to be sustained by the Word, which is Christ. (laughs) When you, there's something to, and like this is just like, this is just an older person talking, I'm sorry. There's something to waking up in the morning, spending time with the Lord and feeding on the presence of the Lord. There's something in that when I feed on the presence of the Lord in the morning, and I'm obedient to what the, that word says in my day; that it, uh, it becomes useful to me in my day, it sustains me. I'm feeding on the things of Christ. And but if I let it and I just let it sit, if I let that manna sit and I don't use it, it's actually something that sours um, sours for me. And so the Lord is just teaching them to be obedient to His word um, by by having these simple instructions. And I'm going to go a little bit faster now. But the last place I want, to, I want to show us is Rephidim. I think that's how you would say it. Rephidim is this really um, interesting place. And this is one of the last stops that we'll hit. You see, they go down, they go down through the wilderness of San and they end up at this place called Rephidim. And this is the place where they're, they're being driven by their thirst once again, but in a way that was unlike the other. They're at a the point of death almost. And there's nothing around them but death. And maybe some of you have been in that place where there's nothing but desert in this place. There's nothing. There's nothing that's quenching your thirst. Nothing at all. And, and the Lord comes to Moses in this place, and he says, take your staff and hit this rock, and out of it are going to come streams of living water. And out of those streams, the people were oppressed, and they they, um, they experienced the presence of the Lord. But 1 Corinthians 10 says something really interesting. It says that this rock was Christ. It says specifically that this rock in the desert, which water flew out water, came out of, was Christ. That it was a picture of Christ. And He was with them in the desert, satisfying them. So you got to ask. Why would the Lord take you to a place where you're being to the point of death where you have not had had food at this point but you're dying of thirst? Because the Lord has got to produce a a thirst in your life that drives you to Himself. The Lord has got to produce in your life something to where you've got to have something to quench you or you're going to die. The Lord is producing that in your life. So he's going to take you through dry seasons so that you'll thirst for the Lord. And the worship man can come on up now and play. But the Lord is doing that ultimately through the wilderness. He's producing a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in your life. You know that passage in Matthew 6 where, where the Lord says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. The Lord wants to meet you at that place where you're thirsty and you're hungry, and He wants to fill you up in the midst of that. And He's gonna take you through this wilderness to sift you out, to take all that self-sufficiency and tear it down. Now, ultimately, they didn't end up in the wilderness. They didn't end up in that place of promise that the Lord intended for them. They didn't end up in the place of rest and contentment in the world. And Numbers 13 talks about this. Alright? It says, They reached Kadesh Barnea, and, and they were at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord sends in these twelve spies, and you know the story, All too well, and the Lord sends in these twelve spies, and they look at the promised land, and they come back and they say, "This is a good land. This is a great land." And only two spies, after that report, say, "Yeah, but we can take this land." The rest of the ten, they say, "We can't take it. We can't take this land. We can't go into the promised land." And yet, and yet, in that moment. within them. They became fearful of the people and they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the midst of these people. And so they, and the Lord says in Numbers 13, 31 but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. So all that the Lord had done in teaching them To place your confidence in Him. Ultimately, it was Christ who was with them in the wilderness. All that the Lord had done, all the lessons that the Lord had done, He to bring them through and to teach them what it was to be sufficient in Christ. They threw out the window and they began to look at the enemy. Now, entering into the promised land is not not saying that there is not an enemy there. Because there is an enemy there. He's just looking past him and realizing that God is bigger because you placed your faith in a God that's able to sustain you and bring you through and to to drive out the enemy in front of you. And so they lacked the faith to place their their faith in, in God and what he had done already. And their unbelief was why they ended up camping in the wilderness the rest of these 30 and their walk went from a walk to a, a wandering, to where they were just wandering in the wilderness, and the Lord had to let them die out, and until the next generation would come along and in faith enter into the promised land. Because, listen, you're being in the you can be in the wilderness, and you can end up getting caught. In it. You can end up. Um, saying God you're not big enough to get me into the promised land you don't know my sin you don't know how messed up I am you don't know how small I am and the Lord will be saying back to you over and over and over again haven't you seen what I've done Haven't you seen all the places that I've already brought you? Haven't you seen and observed what I did on the cross and how I resurrected from the dead and I'm establishing you as a child of God? And so this morning, you may be in a place of wilderness. It may be a place that the Lord intends for you to be. That He's he's trying to... um, And in some... Respect. we will always be in a place of wilderness until we reach heaven one day. That's the truth. But I truly believe that the Lord desires that we would enter into greater places of living in the spiritual reality, the promised land, a spiritual reality that is, doesn't have His eyes set on this life. And so maybe this season just feels dry to you. Maybe it feels like the Lord has abandoned you to some degree. And you're thinking Maybe I should just go back to Egypt Maybe I should just go back to the world And it's more comfortable there Where I was baking bricks And and eating on flesh pots Is what they would call it Like eating herbs and, and uh, other junk And maybe you think That's just where you want to go back to But the Lord would be saying Listen, I'm trying to do something In your life currently I'm trying to bring you through to a place. I'm trying to bring you into a place where your sufficiency relies on me and me alone, where you find yourself at rest in what Christ has done. And so maybe you just want some people to pray over you this morning. Maybe the Lord is teaching you some of those lessons and you just want to pray over them. I just want to pray for you that the Lord would give you strength and wisdom and the faith to keep on persevering Lord, we just love you, and we thank you for your many blessings, even the wilderness. And so, you're just teaching us over and over and over how you can provide streams in the desert and manna from heaven. And you desire that we would thirst and hunger for you because you know that that is the best for our life so, Lord, I just pray for people who are probably going through a wilderness currently and are struggling through it. They're looking back and they've got their head turned, uh, looking towards uh, Sodom, and in essence. Lord, I just pray that they would turn their eyes back to Christ and realize that He is the conqueror. He is the one who is going to sustain them and bring them through it. I pray that you would kill anything within us that looks to ourselves for our sufficiency and strength, which you would be our strength.